The Coram Deo Church Community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you're about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. Our scripture this morning is James chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also, be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning, Cormdale. Let us come together and weep and howl for the miseries that are going to come upon you in this sermon this morning. My name is Mike Kresnick, and I'm happy to be here with you. Uh, this is a strange passage to begin Advent with, isn't it? Um, it's actually pretty great. And we're going to talk about that here in a second. But first, I just want to talk about Advent. Advent is one of my most favorite times of the year. When I was a kid, I loved how it got dark early. I loved how my mom did a really great job of just making our house smell good this time of year, and there's a certain glow to all the decorations that filled our house. All the songs and the stories stirred my imagination, um, stirred my heart to experience joy. I love this time of year. Now with my own family, I get to invite my wife and my kids into that joy, uh, one of the things that we get to do as a family is we have an Advent wreath similar to this where we try every night during Advent to have a little meditation, uh, scripture reading or something to kind of focus our minds and our hearts. And often people will come and say, hey, what are you guys doing to observe Advent this year? And how has that gone, especially with little kids? This meme kind of expresses how that has gone in the past. Um, not so much anymore. Um, but I want to encourage you that whatever your intentions are this Advent season, to create 
memories, to create traditions, it may not live up to the ideal. It might end up looking more like that. Um, and that's okay. Um, the Lord, Jesus, came into our mess, and so we can be okay with being messy. Um, thanks be to God. Um, we have Jesus, we have his scriptures, and that's really all we need. Um, and Advent is so much more than just traditions and the things that we do. Advent is actually a word that is rich with meaning. It's a 12th century word that means arrival or coming. The Advent season is marked by the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, and it's a season of, of looking back and then looking forward. We're looking backward with awe and wonder to the first Advent, to the first Christmas, to the first coming of Jesus, where God entered into time and space. We're also looking forward with longing and expectation to that one day when Jesus will come again at the second coming and place his feet on earth again. And every day of the year, we are living this Advent reality where we're living in this in-between space, the space between the two comings of Jesus. And Advent has a particular eschatological focus, meaning it's focused on the end to come, the day of the Lord that will come in the future. And what James is doing in our text this morning is he's imagining himself in the end, at that future day of the Lord, looking back on his day. He's adopting a future perspective and he's seeing all of life in the light of Jesus' second coming. And so let's open the scriptures this morning to James 5, if you haven't already. And in it, we're going to find three things. We're going to find the perspective of Advent, the justice of Advent, and the hope of Advent. So first, let's consider the perspective of Advent. Look at James chapter 5, verse 1 with me. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. To understand this text, you need to understand what I just said a second ago, that James is adopting an eschatological perspective. He's looking backward from his current day, or back to his current day, from the perspective of Advent. Now, who are these rich people that James is talking about? This isn't the first time he's mentioned the rich in his book. In chapters 1 and 2, he's, uh, he spoke about the wealthy. But here, his words seem a little bit more sharp and direct, don't they? Is James saying that being rich is always going to lead to misery? Or is he saying that Christians shouldn't pursue any amount of wealth at all? Not exactly. The Bible actually commends the kind of wealth that comes through hard work, that comes through exercising good wisdom. We read in the Bible about people like Abraham and Job and King David and Joseph of Arimathea and even Leah, who is a, a business owner in the, in the New Testament and who gave her money to the early church and to the apostles. But the Bible also says that wealth is dangerous. Proverbs 16, 8 says, Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. And Jesus' own words in Luke 18, verse 25, 
For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So here's the perspective of the Bible. Wealth is good, but wealth is also dangerous. And James is not speaking here to people who have built up a little wealth uh, through hard work and stewardship. But notice what he says in verses 4 and 5. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. These rich people have gained their wealth through injustice through exploitation, through taking advantage of their workers. These are the slumlords, the Ebenezer Scrooges, the corrupt televangelists, and Bernie Madoffs of James's day. We could also throw in sketchy CEOs of the fad cryptocurrency. We can throw those guys in there too. And like the Old Testament prophets, James calls to the rich to the worldly people of his day to lament and repent of their ways. Miserable things are coming, James says. And yet he declares to them as if those miseries have already happened. Let's pick it up in verse 1 again. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you. James wants his hearers to have a sense of present dread, as if the miseries have already come. He's stepping ahead to the end of time and, and looking backward with the perspective of Advent. That's the scripture's invitation to us, to, to look ahead to that future day when the Lord comes again, to look backward and examine your life. This is the perspective of Advent. And I want you to take a minute to do this, to reflect what in your life right now needs to be reassessed in light of the day of the Lord. What in your life right now needs to be reassessed in light of the day of the Lord? Not only does James want us to have the perspective of Advent, he wants us to long for the justice of Advent. You've probably already picked up that the core issue in this text isn't riches, it's injustice. And the text points out two problems, the unjust gain of wealth and the unjust use of wealth. James 5, verse 2. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. Landowners were increasing their revenue by defrauding their laborers of earned wages. 
The wealthy were hoarding their possessions. Clothes intended for wearing were being stored up and eaten by moths. Gold and silver intended to be spent for the, the benefit and welfare of others are corroding away as they accumulate in the bank. The unjust gain and hoarding will be evidence against the rich. And in James's advent imagination, he sees the wages kept back by fraud as witnesses cosmically crying out as evidence condemning the rich. See this as we read verse four again. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Jesus, the righteous judge, sees the evidence. And his ears are sensitive to the cries of the oppressed. The day of the Lord is coming. And it will be a day of justice. Singer and songwriter Sufjan Stevens captures this well in his beautiful, haunting Christmas song titled, Justice Delivers Its Gift. He sings, silver and gold, everyone wishes for it. How do you measure its worth? Just by the pleasure it gives here on earth. Oh, I'm getting old. Everyone wishes for youth. How have I wasted my life trusting the pleasure it gives here on earth? Lord, come with fire. Everyone's wasting their time, storing up treasure in vain, trusting the pleasure it gives here on earth. Oh, I see the end. Everyone's waiting for death. How do you measure its worth? Justice delivers its gift here on earth. If you store up treasures and pleasures here on earth, all that you will have stored up for you is death and judgment. Now moving on to verses five and six. We see James calling out the unjust use of wealth. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. It's not only the fact that they are gaining wealth unjustly, they are using their wealth unjustly, with self-indulgent living, spending their money on excessive pleasures, resisting self-denial and generosity, utilizing oppression and violence to hurt the poor, incessantly spending and consuming, fattening themselves, as if this life and its pleasures are all that matter. Most likely, James's audience is made up mostly of poor Christians. They are on the receiving end of this injustice. They are the ones being taken advantage of and defrauded and used. And that's why James wants them to know the justice of Advent. That day is coming, and it is a real day when justice will be done. God's justice is gospel. It is good news. It's good news for the poor that one day injustice will be dealt with. It's good news for the poor that one day the wicked will face their day in court. It's good news that the poor, for the poor one day where all wrongs will be made right. 
This is why the prophet Isaiah spoke of one who would come and bring good news to the poor. In Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. God's judgment brings comfort. We don't often put those two things together, do we? Verse eight, for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense. We all long for that day of justice because we live in a world full of injustice. And all of us want to see that injustice made right. That's why Advent is such good news. Now, it's easy to to look at society around you and call out all the individuals and companies and corporations that have made a profit at the expense of other human beings. But I want to take another moment, again, to reflect. How do unjust gain and the unjust use of wealth play out in your life? How do unjust gain and the unjust use of wealth play out in your life? For me, I do a lot of side work where I bill hourly. And it would be really easy for me to add a couple hours, you know, dishonestly. Um, That's a temptation for sure, but my real struggle is this. I carry with me a baseline fear and anxiety about not having enough. I have a strong desire to hoard the income I bring in and to turn off the generosity so I can make some strides towards being financially independent. Financial freedom, right? I want the car that doesn't rust or doesn't break down every two months. I want the house that's a little bit bigger for my growing family and for all of our stuff. I want a savings account that never diminishes. And in my desire to have more and more and to have the new, I grow envious of the rich. I grow discontent actually with all the abundance that God has actually given me. What about you? How is this passage of scripture forcing you to take an audit of your own life? Are you living in excess? Are you tempted to hold on to your possessions or money with closed fisted hands? Are you dishonest in your work or business? Are you funding injustice with your investments? Do you know where your money is going? Do you know what entertainment choices you make and how that money may be funding injustice of of certain kinds? The purpose of Advent is for you to be able to look into the darkness and evil in the world and also to look into the evil and sin of your own hearts. But I don't want injustice and darkness to be the only thing that we focus on this morning. 
The scriptures call us beyond the darkness to behold the hope of Advent. Let's read James 5, verses 7 and 8 together. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Let's then bounce down to verse 8. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The hope of Advent is that the day of the Lord is at hand. Notice the command that James gives us. Be patient, brothers. With all the injustice that people have endured and that we see in the world today, he wants us to be patient. How can we live in a world with seemingly never-ending war, ongoing oppression and poverty and corruption, and still be patient? Because as God's word promises, the coming of the Lord is a real day, and that day is near. The coming of the Lord is at hand, James says in verse 8. But this is the thing that many of us don't believe. We don't believe that Jesus could come back tomorrow or tonight or this moment right now. So we grow tired. We grow impatient. We grow cynical. Some of you have succumbed to passivity. You lack passion for the mission of God. You, you lack a desire to obey God. You've resigned from engaging in gospel community or even Sunday worship. You've grown half-hearted about confessing your sin and your neediness to God and to others. You don't believe the day of the Lord is near, and so you keep the church at a distance. Due to your unbelief, some of you have fallen into the rut of dead uh, spirituality. You live as though there is no direction in your walk with the Lord. Disciplines like prayer and scripture reading and silence and solitude are just add-ons. They're, they're options, gospel plus for Christians with lots of extra time on their hands. You have no desire to engage the Lord in those ways because you don't actually believe he will engage you. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you that on a star-filled night in Bethlehem, everybody was going about their normal lives. Shepherds were watching their flocks. Travelers were coming in and out of town. A pregnant woman was beginning to feel contractions. Everything was very normal. Until God stepped in to human history. The whole point of Advent is that God breaks in to our very normal, ordinary existence. And my hope for you this Advent is that you reckon with the restlessness you feel in your life and acknowledge the deep, deep longings in your soul. And know that unless you prepare room for the Lord to enter in, you will be prone to frustration and impatience. Ronald Rawlheiser says this, Longing shapes the soul in many ways, 
particularly by helping create the space within us where God can be born. Longing creates in us the stable and the manger of Bethlehem. It is the trough into which God can be born. Carrying our longing stretches, expands, and swells the heart, creating in it the space within which God can come. A frustrated, cynical, impatient soul is not a soul waiting for the day of the Lord. But patiently waiting while leaning into your longings, while embracing your longings, creates space for God to enter in and fill you and be born in those ordinary spaces in our lives. Every time we sit down to eat a peanut butter and banana sandwich, or let's, let's broaden our horizons a little bit, where we're gathering together over a delicious meal. We can praise God together for the daily bread of, that he gives us. And we can remind ourselves how God's provision in all of life is just an appetizer compared to the great feast that we will partake in together when the Lord returns. Be patient, for Jesus is coming soon. Every time you see candles or Christmas trees lit in the dark of winter, remind yourself that Jesus Christ, the light of light, has come into the darkness of the world, and that darkness will never overcome him. For he has overcome the world, and when he returns, there will be no need for sun or moon, because his glory will be all the warmth and the light that we need. Be patient, brothers and sisters, for Jesus is coming again soon. Every time we gather here for worship on Sundays and, and sing and partake of the liturgy and the Lord's table together, every week we are repeating the sounding joy because our God has come to be with us and he is coming again. Sunday worship is merely a dress rehearsal for the day of the Lord. Be patient, church, for Jesus is coming again soon. When you're planting your garden next spring or mowing your lawn or going to work on a Wednesday morning and dreading every second of it, remind yourself of the day of the Lord when we will no longer need to toil or labor endlessly, struggling with our sin and weakness, but we will all finally rest in the garden of the Lord fully in his presence. Be patient, beloved. Jesus is coming again soon. So brothers and sisters, no matter the injustice you are enduring, whatever ordinary moment of life you are living, let us strive together to be patient, to live confident, humble, and generous lives towards others. Let us joyfully labor and suffer and serve while longing for the hopeful day of the Lord. That day when Jesus will return with his righteous justice for the wicked and with salvation for all who believe. Join me as I pray. Heavenly Father, 
Would you hear our cries? You know every anxious thought. You know all the injustice that we have endured. Some of us have grown tired and impatient. Give us strength, for we live and move and have our being in you alone. Holy Spirit, speak peace to those areas of our lives where we are anxious, where we cling on because we are insecure. May we not fear the days ahead, but joyfully long for the day of the Lord. Christ Jesus, God with us, we long for your justice. We long for your salvation to come. Be with us this day. We pray, come Lord Jesus. Amen.